0: welcome to the Sweet Bud on a Farm podcast episode 38 part 2. This is the second half of my interview with David Loughlin of Culmore Organic Farm and if you missed the first part of our interview I highly recommend that you listen to it. We talked about the farm, intensive versus organic farming, how farming projects can bring communities together and the importance of organic farmers and why we should appreciate them. We also talked about bees and the benefits of raw honey and propolis. It is really good episode, if I may say so myself, so if you haven't listened to it, go back and tune in. And if this is your first time at the sweet spot on a farm and you just randomly picked an episode while you're driving and have absolutely no idea what to expect, then this is a podcast about natural health. We're not always on a farm and my guests are natural health professionals, fitness professionals, organic farmers, healthy food producers and anyone whose business it is to keep us healthy in as natural way as possible. We share facts, helpful information and plant-based recipes. This episode is the second half of my chat with an organic farmer, David Locklin, and I hope you enjoy it. We kick it off with a chat about raw milk.
1: The pasteurised milk that uh, we had a paediatric doctor came here and she has now left the NHS. She was so disillusioned with them, But she has brought us about 30 children that were diagnosed as being lactose intolerant. Every single one of them can take our raw milk. No problems whatsoever. So there's, there's obviously something within the processing of milk that makes it... Uh, Undrinkable almost for some children. Uh, and well,
0: it's because they're stripping it off all the enzymes. <coughs> once you pasteurize yeah. it, you're killing all the good bacteria and the yeah. enzymes. Like most of the digestive enzymes uh, would uh, denature in temperatures above the body temperature, yeah. I think. So once you pasteurize it, you're killing them. And if you don't have the enzymes to uh, digest the lactose and the other proteins and sugars that are in the milk. Then, sure. of course, you can't digest it. Of course not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's also a line of thought from the medical profession now that when when you pasteurise milk, you okay, okay, you kill the bacteria, but you leave the dead bacteria in the milk. Uh, and some of them are now suggesting that this could be what's causing some of the lactose intolerance. It, it's a it's a reaction to the dead bacteria that are left. So. Uh,
0: Well, the other thing is that when you drink pasteurized, um, like semi skimmed and skimmed milk, you're basically drinking just water and stripping the milk off the fat. And fat is the important thing that we eat, so why would we take it away?
1: (laughs) I know. (laughs) See, another thing is that there there is a a growing awareness now of uh, uh, weak bones in menopausal women. And they are being advised to drink milk for more calcium, but if a lot of them are drinking semi-skimmed or skimmed milk because they have this kind of wrongly, they have this perception that the fat will make them fat. <laughs> but the flip side of that is that without the fat, the human body cannot assimilate the calcium that is there. So they they might as well drink water. They'd probably be better drinking water actually than skimmed or semi-skimmed pasteurised milk. Uh, and, and we have a number of women that come and get our milk purely for that reason, that they have osteoporosis. Uh, and all of them uh, that we're aware of say, you know, a lot of their problems have disappeared since they started to drink raw milk. So, And they're drinking full-fat milk from a nurse, herd which has uh, consistently 4.5% fat in it. So it, it's a high-fat milk. Uh, and yet none of them are seeing any... Uh, any weight gain or, or any problems with that? So,
0: I'll say it again it's <laughs> the carbs and the sugar that makes you fat people. Yes. Not fat, get it into exactly. your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not angry or anything, like, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> just frustrated, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's talk about the, the raw dairy because you are producing raw milk. And it's been only very recently, I believe, when that's been sort of legalized and, and made possible for you to actually sell True. it to public because yeah. it's it, it wasn't, it used to be because there was this big battle against raw unpasteurized produce. Um, so what is the difference between um, the kind of, let's say uh, the whole big dairy industry would suddenly decide, okay, raw milk is becoming a thing, let's do that. Yeah. What is the difference of big industrial way of producing raw milk and the way you do it?
1: The, the, the difference is with big industrial dairy farming, there is a much greater or higher uh, chance of, of contacting some of the pathogenic diseases like Salmonella, Listeria, Campylobacter or E. coli 157. Those are the four main ones that we test for, uh, along with the, probably the main one uh, that was the 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 primary reason for pasteurisation, and that was tuberculosis. Now we have what's clo- called a closed herd here, so we don't bring any animals in. Uh, geographically, we're fairly isolated, so we don't have nose to nose contact with any other dairy farm uh, or cattle uh, that we that we're aware of. So since TB testing came in, uh, this herd has been TB free. Uh, if we did go down with TB, it would stop our milk sales. And rightly so, because you wouldn't want to be feeding humans uh, tuberculosis bacteria. Uh, But we test every four months for tuberculosis. The whole herd is tested for tuberculosis. Uh, We test on a quarterly basis, so every three months for Salmonella, Listeria, Campylobacter and E. coli. Uh, To date, over the six or seven years we've been selling milk, we haven't had a positive test, which is good. Uh, But we are learning all the time. Now, we are learning that listeria is not as as big a problem as a lot of people thought it was. Uh, In fact, if we we had very low levels of listeria in our milk, it would mean that if people ever inadvertently came in contact with a high dosage of listeria, that they would actually have an immunity built up against it. Uh, So listeria is one that, even under European legislation, Uh, we are allowed up to 100 bacteria, listeria bacteria, per milliliter of milk. Uh, The others are more nasty. Salmonella, you certainly do not want. Uh, Campylobacter makes you really ill. E. E coli 157 is a very nasty uh, bacteria as well uh, and can cause really severe food poisoning symptoms. So we don't want any of those in our milk. Uh, The other one that we're looking at at the minute, and it will become law within the next five or six years, uh, is what's known as Yoni's disease or in humans Crohn's disease uh, now it's a difficult one to test for <clears throat> uh, a, a herd that has Yoni's disease uh, it becomes quite apparent as the animals get older because it's a wasting disease and your older your older animals will in a, uh, a, you know, w- without question start to fail away uh, and ultimately die now with an organic herd, we have a lot of older animals in the herd simply because they're not being pushed hard. Uh, we have cows that, have, that are 15, 16 years old. If we had yonis, it would be apparent in those older animals. Uh, but we are going down the testing route at the minute. Again, it's a long, drawn-out testing process. It needs to be done on a regular basis, and it's a very expensive testing process. But again, we would not like to be selling milk that isn't that, that would potentially be giving... Uh, humans crohn 's disease, because it, it, it is it 's a particularly nasty wasting disease. It can be treated by strong antibiotics, but it, uh, you know t- to my mind, prevention is better than cure so the, the level of testing that we do uh, pretty well ensures that our milk is one hundred percent safe to drink. Uh, we work very closely hand in hand with the food standards agency uh, we we were the first people selling raw milk since the early 70s when pasteurization became the norm Uh, and we worked uh, for at least eight months with the food standards agency uh, before we sold one single drop of raw milk Uh, now it is gaining in popularity and there are three or four others in northern ireland selling raw milk the only one other organic farmer and that's dean weir and tadragee a couple of conventional farmers selling raw milk. One of them is a Jersey producer, uh, a Jersey herd, uh, which has lovely, creamy, uh, good milk. Um, but it, it is something that farmers themselves are almost reluctant to um, take on board because because of the potential risk, I guess, uh, and because of all the propaganda that we've been fed over the years that raw milk is actually bad for you. <laughs> But uh, as I say, we have, we have four generations growing up here on raw milk, and <clears throat> our eldest daughter was in Delhi uh, as an 18-year-old with, a, with an outreach team with 63 other children from both Ballymena Academy and Methody. And Emma was the only one of the 64 children to, during the three weeks they were there that didn't have Delhi Belly. Uh, and the doctors were saying it's most likely because she she grew up on a farm, was exposed to all sorts of pathogens and bacteria. Uh, It's not that we are dirty people, but just growing up on a farm, you have exposure to all of these things, and it gives you a healthy and strong immune system, so that if you are ever immunocompromised, your system is strong enough to fight it off.
0: This is really important that you said that, because one of the big problems of uh, the way kids grow up today is that we are incredibly scared of dirt and bacteria <laughs> and I mean when I was a child we played in a mud we would be encouraged to pet strangers, people's dogs and cats and we would cuddle animals on a farm yeah. and we would touch hens and yeah. uh, you know we would go on to local farms and and touch the cows and and make friends with goats and and uh, their little pet rabbits or whatever and today kids. I mean, only recently I went on a on a walk uh, near uh, near Newry. We went to they have like a fairy trail, mm-hmm. um over there, and, and we took the fairy trail. There were obviously a lot of kids, and we were the only weirdos who went to take the fairy trail with holding children around. So we were marveling over these fairy houses, <laughs> and we didn't have any kids. So everyone was looking at us like, "What are these two weirdos doing?" But all we could hear around where the grown-ups shouting at their kids oh don't sit on the ground don't touch the mud don't pick up the leaves don't touch this don't touch that don't run don't sit don't roll in in the in the leaves or whatever and my partner and i were just looking at each other like uh you may as well just tell your kids don't live Mm. don't be a child don't have any joy in life, Uh, it's very alien to me to tell children to be so protected and from the outside environment because if we don't expose ourselves to all this dirt and the world that surrounds us and bacteria is a natural part of it and we need bacteria then our immune system has no chance of developing and protecting Absolutely. us against the diseases yeah. as we grow old. And people really need some education around this.
1: But again, if you dig down into the whole uh, bacteria and clean thing, uh, there's a whole industry that has been built up around uh, sterilization products like Dettol, uh, uh, any, any sterilant at all, and there is an industry making money out of that. Now maybe I'm being cynical, uh, I don't believe I am, but maybe I am. Uh, and there's a lot of money to be made from being clean. Uh, and I mean again we had one great experience here where uh, when our youngest child started to walk and we we kept pigs at the time and occasionally they were on solid floors and sometimes the pig dung ran out below the floors or the doors and this child dropped her biscuit in some dirty dirt. Stuck it in her mouth and we had been sterilizing feed bottles and spoons and plates and all sorts of things. And we just looked at each other and said, no, we're going to stop sterilizing everything that this child touches because she's going to be exposed to bacteria all day in her natural life anyway. And if she's going to get the resistance, let's let's build it up early so she's not sick in later life. And that's, that's the same child that went to India and didn't have any digestive problems there. So uh, obviously this kind of lifestyle gives you a strong immune system uh, and gives you a healthy lifestyle. Uh, and that's, I mean, as, as a parent, that's all you can ask for your children is that they enjoy their childhood because so many children don't have a childhood anymore. Uh, they, 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 they need to enjoy being a child for the first time 14 or 15 years of their lives at least, because they live plenty of responsibility and plenty of pressure in later life. Let children be children, is my philosophy. Uh, and if they get a broken arm or a broken toe or something, it won't do them any harm.
0: Oh, absolutely. God, <laughs> like the many times I twisted my ankle or I injured myself as a child, climbing <clears throat> trees and running yeah. around and doing stupid things, well, you've got to do it to learn.
1: But it was all fun. Oh, it's totally.
0: Like one of the best, I, I, I think I said that to quite a few people recently. I don't know why I keep talking about mud in the recent months. Mm. But like one of the best memories is whenever my grand had quite a big garden and in summertime, myself and my cousins, we would put a tent up and we would sleep in the tent mm-hmm. in the garden. And um, whenever it was raining and we had to take the tent down and dry it and stuff, there was this muddy patch from where the <laughs> tent had been. And one particular summer, uh, my cousin stayed with us pretty much all summer, and when the tent was um, down and there was this muddy patch, we decided we will have a mud war. And so we were making mud balls <laughs> and treating them as snowballs, and we're just throwing them at each other, and then we were running around the house, and... Um, my grandmother was never mad at us for getting dirty uh, you not. know eating mud and because it, it would hit us in the face in our mouth everywhere <laughs> God we had mud in our ears and everywhere that didn't bother her what bothered her was when we were running with our muddy feet through the kitchen. <laughs> and, she, and she had to mop the floor. That was upsetting. Not the fact that we were covered in mud and we were probably eating it. It didn't bother her at all. And, uh, I mean, how many parents would let their kids to do it these days? Very few. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's, Sadly, it is very few. Uh, but, I mean, we, we have great memories of our childhood days. And I hear our children now talk, talking about the things that they did when they were here, playing in the river and and. You know all the all the fun that they had. It was just great fun, uh, and and nobody came to any harm, and nobody got hurt, uh, and they're all healthy, healthy children now.
0: Oh, I just remember another story, and that like any parents would, any parents today would probably freak out. But I remember we as kids we used to run our granny's garden naked in the summer. Mm. We just ran around, and if it was really <laughs> hot, we would use my grand's house and hose each yeah. other down with cold water, and it was. Fun and you would hear screaming, joy, and it was just <laughs> great. And we were chasing each other, and one time I remember my gran had uh, two adjoining gardens, and one of one of them was really it was it used to be a fruit um, orchard, and then they cut the trees down, and it was kind of overtaken by wildlife. And there was a huge patch of uh, nettles, mm-hmm. and my younger cousin forgot about nettles, and we were chasing each other, and she ran in attempts to run away from me she ran right into the middle of the metals. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this scream was like when she ran out of the metals and within a few minutes she was covered in those bumps and itching yeah. and, and oh my god twitch oh my god it was so like we were laughing she wasn't laughing, she was crying and screaming and now thirty years later we are laughing about it but She was a really healthy child. Mm. That was like immune boost!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Another another crazy thing when you're talking about that sort of thing is that, uh, I said before, we keep keep, uh, honeybees here. Uh, And if a honeybee stings you, it it contains a compound that prevents um, rheumatoid arthritis. So beekeepers traditionally have never had rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and the pharmaceutical industry now actually rear bees for this purpose uh, and they can extract using an, uh, an electronic plate, they can extract venom from bees and in their words, purify it. I don't, I don't know what they do with it, uh, but they make it into uh, some sort of a, an injection that people with rheumatoid arthritis can have uh, and it does prevent rheumatoid arthritis. And as, I mean, it's one of the crazy things. Nobody wants to be stung by a bee. But if you are stung by a bee, it will help prevent arthritis. It's so unfair to do bees as well,
0: because when a bee stings, stings you, she die dies. dies. Uh, yeah. So she, she, she kind of, she constantly pain, but at the same time, she she's gives up her you life help and yeah.
1: she gives up her life to that. I know, I know. Yeah. And I mean, uh, bees are one of the most fascinating in, uh, insects on the planet to me. Uh, And the the colonies that we have in the summertime can be 50,000, 60,000 strong, probably. Uh, They are all, it's a a purely matriarchal society. So one queen rules that hive. Uh, If the queen is deemed by the the workers in the hive not to be good enough, they will get rid of her uh, and rear a new queen. Uh, And at that time of year, there will be plenty of drones or male bees about. Uh, the male bees do nothing but either mate or eat, uh, so they are not working bees. It sounds quite a nice lifestyle, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as soon as the, the young virgin is mated successfully and laying, the drones are excluded from the hive, so they will just they, they're kept out of the hive and they will simply perish. Uh, but it's it's a very uh, although that that sounds maybe harsh. It's a very efficient uh, system. Uh, and bees have been looking after themselves now for I guess ten thousand years since the last ice age. Uh, again man tries to manage bee colonies, but we don't interfere very much with the bees uh, unless they are queenless. Uh, you know we, we will take a frame from another hive and allow them to to, to draw up a queen cell of their own uh, but it, it is a fascinating uh, uh, system and a queen bee. Uh, when she is in full lay, will lay up to 2,000 eggs per day. Uh, It takes those eggs uh, 16 days to mature and hatch. And in the summertime, those bees, the worker bees, will literally work themselves to death. So they work for about six weeks during the summertime, uh, almost non-stop. Uh, During that time, it takes about six or seven bees uh, their full lifetime to produce one teaspoonful of honey. Uh, and that's why we appreciate honey much more than we used to Uh, and then those bees will simply die of overworking. Uh, During the winter time from September onwards the bees that are laid and hatched during that time will survive over winter, they'll they'll survive up to six months Uh, and then in the springtime again when the days start to lengthen uh, the, the bees that are born and hatching at that time of year are again summer bees and they work for six weeks and die. So it's it's, it's a totally fascinating system. Uh, I, I had the privilege of being taught by, by the late Reverend Sam Miller, who was uh, a senior lecturer in beekeeping and travelled all over the world to, to see beekeepers. Uh, and Sam kept bees here for 15 or 16 years before his, his death uh, and taught me everything that I know. Uh, and it's just, I, I'm still fascinated and I could go and stand and watch, <clears throat> watch bees working uh, all day. Fascinating. Uh, they, they carry nectar and pollen from uh, a, a huge variety of plants around this farm because we, we don't spray anything, we, we don't kill anything plant-wise. Uh, and we have such a variety of plants. Uh, and really from January, when the snowdrops appear, <clears throat> right through to December when there's still uh, ivy plants and flowers, uh, the bee has something different every month to forage from. Uh, and they all have different colours of pollen Uh, they they all have different types of nectar Uh, for instance, ivy honey once it's in the comb for three weeks will solidify and it becomes a very hard honey Uh, but it's one of the best honeys for uh, any sort of chesty asthmatic type conditions uh, and certainly hay fever Uh, raw honey is one of the best cures for hay fever known to man uh, and yet we pasteurize all our honey which again is you know to me is ridiculous you
0: obviously don't pasteurize your no, honey no, no, you, no. you produce raw Come, honey. yeah we
1: produce raw honey it comes on the comb uh, so you're getting not only honey but beeswax and propolis and and uh, pollen uh, in in the right quantities uh, and it's just such a it's such a beautiful foodstuff uh, we respect it highly uh, if we're having honey on our Sandwiches or whatever, it's a small amount of honey, uh, but it is just so good for you. Good good food doesn't have to be fancy. I mean, we, we eat well here, but we don't eat any fancy food. We, we eat plain food and good food. Uh, and, and we eat as much organic as we can. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, we have our own uh, meat and potatoes uh, virtually year-round. We have seasonal veg. We have honey. Um, we have milk. Uh, we don't eat a lot outside of that. Uh, I, I do a bit of fishing, and we have wild trout and occasionally wild salmon to eat. Uh, it's all good food, uh, and it's but it's all simply prepared, and we don't put any additives or anything into the food. It's just as nature intended it. And uh, touch wood, we're I'm approaching sixty, and I'm still able to play rugby, so <laughs> there can't be wow. much wrong with the diet. <laughs>
0: Power of nature, the power of real food. Yeah, because it's untouched, so it's full of nutrients, and and it is so important.
1: Mm. Good, good food to me is actually better than medicine because it's natural and it's good for you. It's nutrition uh, and and it's it's strength for your body. And uh, you know, if if you eat well and simply, you will be healthy uh, by some freak accident of nature. Uh, and you know, to me, that's one of the big things. I feel that we need to learn. We must get away from uh, trying to heal people that have disease uh, and, and prevent that disease through good nutrition. Uh, and you know, to, to me, it's not rocket science. Nothing that we do could not be emulated on an industrial scale. Uh, and it would certainly and I say this w- without fear of contradiction, it would certainly improve the health of the nation if we if we were eating less processed foods uh, and, and good, simple plain food. There's no doubt about it.
0: It's definitely something that the uh, modern medicine need to yeah. incorporate into the way we are Absolutely. treating. And, I mean, it,
1: it is being slowly incorporated. I mean, if you, if you have a wound now, you uh, 99% chance you will get a, a, some sort of a bandage or a patch with Manuka honey in it. Mm. Uh, and, and I know that, sadly, from experience. Before my father died, he had some bed sores uh, and he got patches with Manuka honey on it to, to improve the bed sores. So, oh, wow. You know, the the National Health Service is looking at things like that, but but it has a long way to go yet, I, I believe, anyway.
0: We can hope for the best. But, so tell me, so you raised cattle here mm-hmm. organically and um, you have uh, raw milk actually let, let's go back a little bit to the raw milk because one of the things I'd really like to know I have an early memory as a child when we went to a local farmer and uh, we um, I remember my mum my used to drink raw milk when she was a child and when we I remember as a kid we went with school i think and we went to local farmer and we saw how they milk cows and they were doing it by hand mm-hmm. and then i remember i was much much older and at that time i already had issues with i already wasn't really drinking milk that much because i had issues with digesting it and i, I remember it was a mechanical process and the cows were far from happy Mm. it was all machines and nobody talked to them whereas when i was a kid the person milking the cow was talking to the cow it was almost like as if they were telling the cow a story while they were (laughs) taking her milk and then i saw this mechanical process and it was as far removed from nature as it can possibly go yeah how do you milk your
1: cows? What way do you do it here? We now have uh, what's referred to as a robotic milking system. Uh, and it is, to my mind, it is fabulous for cows. It's almost back to the old hand-milking style. Uh, so our cows have free access to be milked when they want to be milked. Uh, they, they decide themselves when they go in to be milked. And, and I can show you this later... Uh, it's a very hygienic system because it has been designed to be hygienic, uh, and, and that's good. Uh, I, I, I can buy into that. There are no nasty chemicals used. Uh, the chemicals used for teat cleaning, uh, pre-milking, are hydrogen peroxide, which is a natural uh, uh, compound, and parasitic acid, which again breaks down into simple uh, water and carbon dioxide uh, molecules. Uh, so neither of those have, have an impact on the environment, uh, the, the, the milking system itself is washed three times a day. So that's the internal part of the milking system uh, where the milk is in contact with. Uh, so that's that's washed three times a day with a boiling detergent wash. Well, sorry, boiling detergent twice a day and boiling acid once a day. Uh, and the reason for that is the detergent removes any fat that's deposited in the system. The acid removes any... Uh, what... what is uh, termed lime scale which is basically calcium deposits within the system Uh, if either of those were allowed to build up your your hygiene would would uh, diminish Uh, but the great thing about it is the 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 animals decide themselves when they want to be milked so uh, before we had this if we were milking a cow twice a day that had a lot of milk Uh, she ultimately was carrying possibly up to as much as 20 kilograms of milk around with her in her udder. Now that uh, has to be very uncomfortable. Uh, That same cow nowadays will come in every five or six hours to be milked. So the maximum amount of milk that she's ever carrying in her udder is between 9 and 12 litres of milk or kilograms of milk. So that puts a lot less stress on her udder. Uh, and, and the knock-on effect of that is that first of all that cow is, is less prone to getting any mastitis which is a disease of the other, bacterial infection in the other, uh, and that cow will last at least one, one lactation or one year longer than she would under the old system uh, and those two things together uh, make that system if, if those were the only two benefits that it makes a robotic system uh, an incredibly good system uh, but there are all, all sorts of other side effects, mainly commercial, uh, and I'll not bore you with those now. But uh, what we have found is that our clinical mastitis, since we uh, started using a robotic milking system, uh, has decreased by 70%. Oh, wow. So we only have less than one third of the clinical mastitis we used to have. Uh, the system also employs uh, what's called a conductivity Meter in each cup that milks the cow, so we, we we can actually now using conductivity in the of the milk see mastitis uh, up to thirty six hours before we would visibly see it, uh, and that allows us because we use so much homeopathy and herbal remedies that allows us to use those uh, early on in the infection. And twenty nine times out of thirty, we get away now with a herbal remedy or a homeopathic remedy instead of having to reach for an antibiotic. So we use about two percent of the antibiotics that that uh, we used to use way back in the very intensive days. Oh, so, wow. so a, a robotic system is is programmed to do it. It, it. It's it's programmed to be animal friendly, farmer friendly. Uh, is programmed to keep disease at bay uh, it, it tells us everything about that animal every visit she makes uh, every litre of milk that she gives uh, everything about the animal is recorded even uh, when they are on heat uh, which is uh, part of their breeding cycle uh, and when the animal is on heat they actually mount each other and, and uh, you know they're, they're much more active uh, and we have we have uh, what are called readers in the shed, uh, that actually extend, you know, their range is about 800 metres. And that will tell us, if we don't see a cow on heat, that will tell us that the cow has been on heat and ready to breed. So, I mean, it's just, it's such a good system. Uh, And my generation uh, don't adapt to it as as well as my son's generation, because they are technophiles. They, They love technology. Uh, old boys like me found it a little harder to adapt, but i mean even even my father, who was nearly ninety when he died, saw this system working, and he just said that was such a good system you know he he had problems trying to envisage, envisage a robotic system b- before it was installed and couldn't get his head around the the technicalities of it uh even when he was in a wheelchair, he used to come over to the farm and watch cows being milked through the robot. For hours at a time, he just found it so fascinating. uh, I can't
0: believe that it allows you to treat cows mainly with homeopathic and herbal remedies. That is amazing. Absolutely, that is incredible, and that's exactly what we were talking about (coughs) earlier. It is so important to go back to that.
1: Yeah, I just as 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 a slight aside, I was I was speaking to a probus club uh, six or seven years ago and I knew the guy who was chairing the meeting extremely well. Uh, his son and I are very good friends, but is he, always one, uh, trying to catch you out somewhere or other uh, or put you on the spot. And after I'd spoken to him for about 20 minutes, on, uh, or to the group uh, for about 20, 25 minutes on organic farming, uh, he thanked me and he said, could you sum up uh, the principle of organic farming in five words? Uh, and I thought, gosh, I'm I'm on the spot now. But I thought for a few seconds, and then I I said, yes, I will. Um, organic farming is traditional farming using modern technology, uh, and and that you know f- f- from uh, an inspired moment, as it were, it it's actually something that I use quite a lot now as a strapline on organic farming, because we are going back in some ways and in, in many ways to more traditional systems. But we still have the benefit of modern technology now. Uh, and you know f- from being put on a spot one day is it, something I, I say we now use as our strap line. We are, we are farming traditionally, but we use modern technology. Uh, and, and modern technology, the benefit of modern technology is that it takes the drudgery out of farming. because for 25 years, I get up every morning at five o'clock and I milk cows for two hours. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, I went back and milked those same cows. And I did that seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, well, maybe 51 weeks a year for 25 years. Robotic milking systems allow you to get away from that. Uh, and it not only does it give the cows a better life, it gives the farmers a life because you're not tied to twice a day milking or three times a day milking, if, if that's your thing. Uh, and and it, is, it is one of the... Benefits of modern technology that it allows us as farmers not to be tied to the drudgery of farming. Because, I mean, farming can be a long and lonely workday, uh, and a lot of farmers now work on their own. Uh, and if you don't have somebody to talk to, this, this may sound a little unsympathetic, but if you don't have somebody to talk to about the problems that you're encountering on a day-to-day basis, it actually can cause a lot of mental problems. Uh, farmers do suffer from that uh, because of the workload that they uh, impose upon themselves. Because farmers are very proud people, by and large, uh, and they are hard-working people. Uh, sometimes too hard-working. Uh, and you can't push yourself psychologically and physically to the edge without realising it. Uh, and modern technology is taking us away from that. If if we embrace it, it's, it's certainly taking us away from it. Uh, and we we have we, we have been milking cows now with robotic milkers for uh, eleven years. It was one of the best decisions I ever made through my lifetime was to to go and embrace robotic technology. And
0: um, it's very important aspect that you mentioned there, and that's about the mental health. And it's it goes back to something I mentioned earlier that. We often look at our plate not even thinking about the farmer who put so much sure. hard work into growing yeah. yeah. that food. And I think that's, that's what we really, really need to be grateful for, um, especially in the modern world, um, mm-hmm. to realize how much hard work yeah. it costs to produce the food we eat and we really need to embrace that and um, express a little bit of gratitude for that because ultimately if we don't have people like you growing our food we don't eat
1: absolutely yeah Yeah.
0: Um, on that note you also grow some apart from raising animals and producing raw milk and um, producing raw honey Mm. uh, you do grow some vegetables as well do you?
1: It's a sort of a sideline, really, uh, and it came about with my, or through my association with John McCormick of Helens Bay Organic Gardens, um, uh, coinciding with the time that my son came home to to farm. Uh, And I I tried to do the same with him as my father did to me, and that was to give give him a free rein and not be breathing down his neck all the time. Uh, And to do that, I had to have something to distract me. Uh, So I went into growing some, now very small scale, but growing some potatoes and uh, winter vegetables. And for somebody that never got gardening or vegetable growing on a small scale, a much smaller scale, I have really bought into it and I thoroughly enjoy it. It's one of the most rewarding things that I can do. Uh, To go out to a field and to be able to pull a carrot from a drill and eat it there and then in the field, and know that it's healthy, absolutely delicious, uh, and you've grown it yourself is just one of the most rewarding things. Uh, and it's also a very lucrative business, I have to say, from a from a mercenary point of view. Uh, it 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 pays the bills. Uh, fairly low input system because we're still using tractors that are. Well, a tractor that was 50 years old uh, and old pieces of machinery that had been parked at the back of a hedge for 30, 40 years. Uh, I have resurrected all those and can use them. Uh, the seed is relatively cheap uh, and all it takes is my time and input and, and care. Uh, and it's it's a nice wee side business for the farm. It also means that when we're having Sunday lunch we have our own <clears throat> meat and potatoes and vegetables and it's a lovely thing, it's certainly not year round because it's mostly winter veg that we grow, but we grow carrots uh, of all colours, oranges, golden, uh, purples, Uh, we grow cabbages, sprouts, uh, kale sprouts uh, and various things, uh, Brussels sprouts Uh, and to have those seasonally is is just lovely.
0: It must be all yours those yellow and purple carrots yeah. that I buy from yes, Helland's <laughs> organic <laughs> farm shop yeah. Carter, yeah. I love those <laughs> and it's really lovely to sometimes see when you go around organic markets and sometimes you see even grown-ups marvelling over purple yeah. and yellow carrots. Like, like what is this? People don't realize how many varieties and it is such a beautiful thing to be able to pull something off the ground and eat it and again it goes yeah. back to what we were saying earlier about us nowadays being so scared of dirt and exactly. stuff but we used to do that as children whatever yeah. vegetables my granny was growing again she did grow some carrots, but we had radishes as well yeah. and one of the things i love to do was kind of nicking the radishes when they were still like baby radishes yeah. Yeah. Uh, from under the polytunnel. <laughs> And eating it right there and then, and and I remember my mom would shout at me, "You have to wash it before you eat it." And I wouldn't care. I just kind of, (laughs) you know, like shook the dirt off it and whatever was left. I just ate it with the relish, and it never bothered me. And again, nowadays, actually, there's loads of research now going on with regards to our 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 gut microbiome. But what they've discovered now that we have serious lack
1: of soil based organisms in our gut. Yeah. And we need that. <laughs> of course. And this is what you would
0: get if you ate organic vegetables pulled from That's organic soil. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: One of one of the best probiotics you can get is raw organic vegetables. Uh, and again, you have the soil-borne bacteria that are good for, for your gut biome. Uh, you may be ingesting a few Listeria bacteria, but they will not do you any harm, I guarantee you. Uh, and, and your whole gut biome is becoming stronger, and when it is strong. You are much more resistant to any diseases that are going, you know, colds, flus, that sort of thing. Uh, and again, it's, it's simple. Uh, you know, it, it's a very simple process to grow these vegetables and eat them, uh, but it's so, it's so health giving. You know, I can't emphasize that enough how healthy a diet raw organic vegetables are. Uh, and, you know, if, if more people ate more of them, there'd be a lot less sickness and, and disease uh, in the country, for sure.
0: We should maybe caution some listeners um, who grow vegetables or who know a farmer or live near a farm that is not organic, guys. Please do not try eating vegetables right from the ground when you know it's being treated by pesticides, fungicides or herbicides. You do not want to do that. But we're kind of coming nearly the end of our chat, we've covered so much. Mm. But now that you grow your own vegetables, did the way you eat change in any way? Do you eat maybe more vegetables now that you grow your own and do you have a favorite one?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think because they are available throughout the season, whatever that season is, you know, for, for carrots, say, uh, we will have carrots from um, mid-August right through until April the following year. Uh, parsnips, much the same, maybe a shorter window for parsnips. Uh, the winter greens, then, there's a variety of them available right through from July almost, right through until April the following year. Uh Yes, we do. I mean, I, I never was a Brussels sprouts fan. I used to hate Brussels sprouts. Uh, and if you look at a Brussels sprout growing organically, it is it is a, a much less green plant or, or, or vegetable. Uh, I don't know what they do with them commercially, but they are very bright green. And if you put them onto a shelf, they will last for four weeks on a the shelf. There must be all sorts of preservatives put on them. Uh, and they're bitter. When you eat an organic Brussels sprout, they are sweet.
0: They are sweet, And, and that and I is love them. absolutely
1: the difference. And uh, I try to encourage, when we have school visits here, I try to encourage the children to eat them straight off the plant. And so many people are surprised that they are not bitter. And I can't explain that. It, it, it's obviously to do with the uh, fertilizer inputs and so on. Uh, but sprouts would be one of the things that we would eat uh, in season almost every day because they're so nice. Uh, but the one, the, the vegetable that is, uh, that is really, the organic vegetable that has really made headway in the commercial marketplace are, uh, is carrots. Uh, and carrots have now penetrated the total carrot market, organic carrots have penetrated the total carrot market to the extent of I think about 16 or 17%, which is a huge ingress. Uh, for any organic foodstuff, I think the next closest one uh, would possibly be some of the meats at 4 to 5%. You know, so carrots on flavour alone uh, have, have got into the marketplace, organic carrots have got into the marketplace uh, to the tune of almost 1 in 5 carrots nowadays, uh, which is a big... Uh, you know, it, it takes a lot for people to go from conventional to orga- organic when they're purchasing food uh, and that tells me that the difference between flavour in organic and non-organic carbs is huge
0: Oh, absolutely and even when you buy organic vegetable in the supermarket that's been lying on the shelf and then they yeah. deliver because they a lot of the stuff that's in the supermarket is actually not locally grown, it's all coming from mm-hmm. Spain and Italy and Netherlands or wherever else Um. It doesn't taste as good as if you go to a local grower sure. and buy because it's freshly picked that day or the day before. Absolutely. It is a huge difference. Yeah. Huge yeah. difference. Yeah. It actually has a flavor. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. You well, can taste the carrot or the sprout yeah. or the French
1: bean or Absolutely. whatever else organic you're eating.
0: Yeah. Like the difference in beetroot.
1: Yeah, huge.
0: Oh my God. It's it's amazing it's like day and night like honestly if if you're a food lover and you're still thinking whether to eat organic or not eat organic Mm. because simply not organic is cheaper well it's a misconception as well because it actually isn't cheaper but um if you are a foodie switch to organic because the difference in flavor is incredible Mm. absolutely It is incredible. So, what's your favorite vegetable?
1: Carrots. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They
0: are really tasty. Yeah. They are really tasty. Um, I've actually recently made, um, just because I had some leftovers and I thought, oh, I better make some salad. So, I made um, cucumber carrot and beetroot Mm -hmm. salad with some toasted sunflower seeds but really simple just quickly grated or I have a food processor just throw it in the food processor because I'm lazy (laughs) and in five minutes I had this wonderful salad and a little bit of raw organic apple cider vinegar some olive oil and voila and amazing and all grown locally and I think it was your carrots actually (laughs) because they were yellow Um. It is incredible. Do, yeah. do you have yourself some favourite uh, recipe that would feature carrots?
1: I'm I'm not a cook, so no. I don't. You're not a cook. No, I'm not. For my sins, I'm a farmer. <laughs> Farmers <laughs> traditionally are not cooks, so oh, you're
0: growing somebody else's. Yeah, a absolutely.
1: But what I what I love are roasted carrots, uh, all three colours uh, on a roasting pan, just and uh, not only the flavour, but the colours are, are just exquisite. I mean, the, the golden carrots are a lovely bright yellowy colour, and the purples and the oranges along with that are just so nice, uh, and and we would also roast uh, parsnips along with that. So you have the you have the four colours really. The parsnips are pure, pure white, and then you have your orange and yellow and purple and just eating assist, the assist, rainbow. Yeah, lovely,
0: <laughs> beautiful. I think it was a couple of years ago actually. Alicia from Amberline preserves another farmer. Told me to save the, if I buy carrots with the green mm-hmm. leaves, mm-hmm. to save the young leaves and mm-hmm. wash them and keep them and eat them. Yeah. And so what I started doing it, I do save them and I always um, wash them and dry them and, and keep them in a, in a Tupperware. Mm-hmm. And I would put them once a week, I make vegetable stock mm-hmm. in a slow cooker and I use them to put them in a stock because they're really rich in antioxidants yeah. and vitamin A. Mm-hmm. So I would throw them in the stock, and if I don't use all of them in the stock, I would just chop them and use them instead of parsley or whatever, and yeah. put them in salads and put them in stews. Sure. And, um, yeah. Again,
1: we've forgotten how to use everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the same with our animals. We keep a lot of the offal from the animals that we slaughter. So we, we keep the tongues, heart, kidneys, livers, tail, and the kidney fat. Uh, and. You know, again, to, to me, it's more respectful towards the animal that was given its life for us to eat. Uh, why should we throw away or put into dog food the offal? Because it's good food uh, for the I'm pretty of, sure all of our listeners
0: would disagree with
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's, it's, it's and, and uh, again, I say this advisedly, it's out of ign- ignorance because we have stopped learning how to use these pieces of offal. Uh, now, one one of the sad things that, that we see from time to time is that we get uh, cancer patients here, and they are looking for liver. Mm-hmm. Now, you could hardly buy liver in a supermarket anymore. Liver is one of the most nutritious foods that you can eat, uh, and it, it apparently is great for uh, post-chemotherapy recovery, uh, And and we try to keep all the livers from all the animals that we get simply for those people because quite often it aids them on their journey to recovery. Uh, I remember my grandmother making uh, pickled tongue. Uh, my mother used to make steak and kidney pie all the time. Absolutely beautiful. And if you've never made a broth with oxtail, do you? Wow. it. Wow. So, it is so nice. There's a flavour with oxtail that you don't get with any other bone broth. It's a sweetness, almost... Difficult to explain, but it is so different, but beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I
0: have to admit that um, I was persuaded to try and use organic chicken feet Mm -hmm. for broth Mm -hmm. because that was... And the generation of our grandmothers and great-grandmothers yeah. did whenever there was a sickness in the house because they're so full of collagen. I had to close my eyes. Then you kind of have to boil them for an hour or so <laughs> to kind of boil the dirt and the, the bad bacteria out of it before you use it. And But the difference in, in the broth, and I, I did it when I was going through some IBS issues, and but the difference... In, in in the bone growth was remarkable you, yeah. you could literally see how much richer in collagen that yeah. was yeah. and um, I mean obviously if you're vegan you're not going to do that and I, I totally understand if somebody's yeah, going to yeah. be really mad at me for, for doing that but <laughs> uh, but if you are not vegan these things I mean that's what our really clever grandmothers and yeah. great women did and of they course. did it for a reason because they knew it was good it was for good. you
1: Sure. We, we tend to find, too, that the ethnic minority people that come here uh, know how to use all these bits and pieces of the animals. And, I mean, we have Syrian people coming here and they ask us for everything from lung to brains. Uh, we, we, unfortunately, can't get brains from the animals here because it's, it's uh, classified as a Category 1 foodstuff, which is the most da- potentially the most dangerous and mm-hmm. um, we're asked for tripe on quite a regular occasion, uh, cattle stomachs, um, and it, you know, it, it does, as I say, tend to be the ethnic minority people, uh, and, and they tell us how they cook it, because we are interested, obviously, uh, and sometimes they bring us back some of the food they've made, and it is absolutely beautiful.
0: Amazing.
1: Just how to, how to cook it properly. As you say, uh, we, we have lost all of this knowledge with our grandmother's generation, probably, or, or certainly our mother's generation but we now make steak and kidney pie again and it is beautiful
0: I think it is important to say that if anybody is going to try it it is vital that if you are going to use organ meats it is vital that it comes from organic farming Yeah. because you <coughs> not want to be using liver from industrial farming where it is likely that that liver has been plagued with antibiotics and so it is important if you are going to do this please do source out your produce from an organic farm it is important yeah and on that note i think we have covered it all. We've talked for two hours, believe it or not. Well. And I, I feel like there's still so much more to cover, but maybe I could come back another time. Sure. Maybe get that recipe you. <laughs> learn to cook David <laughs> But yeah. um thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom You're welcome. and it's been uh incredible and um We're going to end it here now because I have a list from my partner I need to bring some of your produce home. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) um, Let's go on. Thank you very
1: much. You're welcome.
0: After our interview, David has shown me the milking process. Um, I felt like I was a school child again on an education school trip and this trip was a lot better from the last farm trip I remember. And Well, everyone has their own opinion on um, the consumption and production of dairy. One thing is for sure, what I saw at the Culmore Organic Farm is very different from the mass dairy production of industrial farming I remember seeing years ago. The cows that were being milked, well, the one cow that I saw being milked, but the cow looked comfortable, uh, which is not something I would expect from the process. Because it's cold now outside, the dairy cows are indoors and um, there's plenty of space. They seemed very happy, which again is very different from what I remember seeing years ago. This was really different and As we were walking into the barn, um, David was talking to a couple of cows and they responded by coming closer and demanding some scratches and some attention. And I haven't touched a cow since I was a kid. And that brought the close encounter with the animals, uh, brought back some really nice memories from the times of living closer to the nature in the countryside and interacting with the nature and... Interacting with um, farm animals, seeing how everything grows, how everything goes through its natural yearly cycles and I feel we need more of this kind of interaction in our modern world. I think we'd be a lot kinder to the animals, to the nature, the environment but also to all the humans around us. And I think we should leave it there. Um, If you liked this podcast, um, please leave us a comment on SoundCloud or social media. Or better yet, rate us on iTunes. I'd be very grateful for any of those stars or a short review you may leave. Remember, all our recipes are available through our social media and if you'd like to download them in a handy PDF file, just go to our Facebook group page file section to remind you today's recipe from David is simply roasted rainbow carrots with parsnips. And if you'd like more healthy plant-based recipes, you can also order our cookbook. Completely shameless plug here, you can find it on Amazon or iBooks under the title The Sweet Spot Feast Your Way to a Healthy Gut. And the book contains all plant-based recipes suitable for celiacs and diabetics as well. You can also email me for a personal order of the book with free delivery within the UK. Shameless plug over, if you'd like to know more about the farm, you can visit www.academy.com calmoreorganicfarm.com that's C-U-L-M-O-R-E organic farm all one word dot com or if you'd like to contact David or visit Calmore Organic Farm you can email him at david at Farm.com or call directly at zero double seven double one double four eighteen eighteen. and these are the contact details you will also find on the website and that's it for this time have a lovely week look for some purple and golden yellow cards next time you're out shopping eat organic and stay healthy until next time bye as every week your host is myself Susanna from the sweet spot music by Mark J Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan thank you for listening